I'll make sure that thing's really running this time because I just preached an entire message and apparently my computer kicked it off. All right, sorry to be so late tonight, but I've already preached this once. We're going to try it again, and hopefully it stays running this time. Uh, I don't know what anybody saw or what they didn't see, but uh, if you're with us tonight, uh, if you just tuned in, whatever, turn to the book of Habakkuk tonight, the book of Habakkuk. Maybe you can watch it later if you didn't, but the book of Habakkuk is where we'll be uh, over in the Old Testament. and. And I tell you tonight, we're living in some interesting times, much like they were in the book of Habakkuk and uh, a lot going on during these times. And Habakkuk chapter number three, we'll, we'll kind of read just a few verses here to, to get us kickstarted. And I'll give you the context of what was happening in. Looks like we're still running. Habakkuk chapter three and verse 17, the Bible says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail. And the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk upon my high places and to the chief singer of my string instruments. And so here's a, really the book of Habakkuk. Just to give you some background, some context on where we're going here tonight is uh, or first of all, it was a, a book written to be sung. And in Habakkuk chapter three, the very last verse says this, the, to the chief singer of my stringed instruments. In other words, here he's writing, he wanted this book to be sung. Well, why would he write it as a song? Well, here's why. Uh, many of the Old Testament books were written that way as a song because uh, the idea was to make it easier to memorize. And, and, and the, the prophet here wanted them, the nation of Judah, that's who Habakkuk was a prophet to, he wanted to be able to fix their mind on this message, to memorize this message, to be able to regurgitate this message, if you would. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of songs I can listen to that came from the middle of nowhere that I hadn't heard in years, and I, I can remember, I, I can I can repeat in uh, every single word of a song I hadn't heard in 15 years. A song just makes things easier to learn, easier to memorize, and so a lot of the Old Testament is written that way. Uh, yeah, I learned, I, I remember looking back, listen, I learned my ABCs because of a song. In fact, I still have to sing that song today sometimes to get my ABCs in the right order. I learned my multiplication tables by listening to some songs. And some of you need to go to maybe YouTube some of those songs because you still don't know you're at multiplication tables. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so here's a book. It, it, it's written meant to be sung, but here's what it really is. It's a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. The prophet Habakkuk and God having a conversation. So we're just going to look through this conversation and see what we can learn from it because this was a time in Judah when things were falling apart. Can I tell you? They were falling apart economically. They were falling apart politically. They were falling apart spiritually. There was chaos all around. Can I, does that sound familiar? And God here is pre preparing to judge the nation of Judah uh, for the things that have been going on. So when we get to chapter one, flip back there with me, Habakkuk chapter one. First thing that happens is Habakkuk speaks. And he says in verse two, he, he asks a question. He asks the Lord, he says this, oh, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? Thou will not hear. 
even cry out of thee violence and thou will not save. And here's what he's saying. Lord, why is all this going on? I've, I've been asking you and he's so disturbed. He's literally saying, God, what's going on? Lord, aren't you seeing what's happening? What's going on here? Uh, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Why is all this happening? What are you going to do about it, Lord? And he's kind of asking that. It sounds like a lot of Christians today, doesn't it? God, what's going on? Do you see what's going on in our country? Do you see what's going on in this world? Uh, God, aren't you going to do something about it? And, and so you get to verse five of chapter one. Now here's God's response. So Habakkuk asks what's going on. You get to verse five and, and God responds here. And uh, he says, behold, ye among the, in verse five, behold, ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. And so here's what God's basically saying. He said, and he's replying to Bacchabee, yeah, I see what's going on and I'm going to do something about it. I'm just not telling you what I'm going to do because if I would have told you, you wouldn't have listened anyway. You wouldn't have understood it. But then he goes on and he says, okay, you really want to know? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm getting ready to use the Chaldeans to do something about this. And, and to understand that the Chaldeans, listen, they were evil. They were wicked people. They were ungodly people. Yet, yet God's going to use the wicked and ungodly people to get his people's attention. Did you catch that? Maybe summarize it this way. God's about to use something bad to get his people's attention back on him. God's going to use something bad to get his people's attention back on him. So you get down to verse 12. Now it's Habakkuk's time to talk. So Habakkuk spoke and then God replied. Now Habakkuk speaks back and he says this in verse 12. He says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And we shall not die, O Lord, for thou hast ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of pure eyes and to behold evil and canst, not, canst look on uh, iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou? upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue to the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. So here's what Habakkuk saying. He said, God, why are you, why, why are you going to do that? He says, Lord, we're not the ones that are supposed to die. We're your people. The Chaldeans, they're the wicked ones. They're the ones that should die. We're more righteous than they are. Why would you overlook them and punish us? Why would you use the wicked to punish us who are more righteous is what he's saying. And can I just interject something real quick here? Be real careful. Anytime you or I start to judge our righteousness based on somebody else's, can I tell you, we're messing up. We're not to judge our righteousness based on somebody else's righteousness. We're not to compare ourselves to others. Paul says, to, wrote to the Corinthians, he says, that's not wise when you're comparing yourself to others. Listen, a ship doesn't set sail uh, on the ocean using another ship to determine its position. They're both moving. That doesn't make sense. You always got to set your, 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 your mark on a fixed thing and uh, like the North Pole or the, the lighthouse or something like that. And so can I tell you, Christians, we need to set our course, our, our location on something that doesn't move, something that doesn't change, something that's always the same yesterday and to ever, uh, to, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. Listen to me tonight. Watch the comparison game because the truth is the only one we should ever compare ourselves to is God Almighty. And every time we do that, I can promise you, we will come up short. We will fall short. Now, before we beat up Habakkuk too bad, can I tell you, he got a couple things right. And he got, first of all, he got the correct view of God right. He said, art thou God, in verse 12, from everlasting, O Lord? O Lord, all caps, Jehovah God, he says. My God, he says, my holy one. 
He goes in verse 13, thou art purer eyes than the, thou art of pure eyes. And so he's saying, Lord, you're the everlasting God. You're the, you're Jehovah God. He got some things right. You're the, you're the alpha, you're the mega, the beginning, you're in, you're Lord, you're, you're Jehovah, you're the great I am, you're our relation God, you're our personal God, you're my God, he says. You're the holy God. And by the way, that's what we're going to sing in for an eternity in heaven. In Revelation 4, it tells us, holy, the song we're going to sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So Habakkuk, listen, he had a right view of God. He right, had a right conception about who God was, but here's where he went wrong. Pay attention carefully. This will help us. Even though he had a right conception about who God is, he had come to a wrong conclusion concerning how he thought God should work. Can I say that one more time? He had a right conception about who God was. But he had come to a wrong conclusion about what he thought God would or should do. Maybe that's a way to think of it. Basically, here's what Habakkuk was saying. God, I'm going to put myself in your seat on your throne. You know what? If I was you, here's what I would do. And basically, Habakkuk was saying, God, if I was the Holy One, if I was the Everlasting One, if I was the Jehovah God, then here's what I would do. Wow. He's placing himself in the position of God. God, if I were God, I would do this and I wouldn't do that. And he tells God, your eyes, Lord, are too pure to use something dirty, a dirty tool such as the Chaldeans. And it's basically, God, I have, I got higher standards than you did. I would deal with a problem better than you do. And I tell you, what a prideful thing to say. He said, I'd never say that. Wait a minute. Don't miss this. We're guilty so many times of doing the same thing. We say things like, God, why would you allow this? God, why would you cause this? Why would you let these evil people thrive and, and suppress your people? God, how could you allow a virus to come to our nation that makes us sick and, and basically shuts down our nation? God, how could you allow our, uh, our government, our elected leaders to be voted in, these folks to be voted in that deny your word and, and want to go set up policies that go against your very word? God, how, how, how could you... Maybe allow my loved one to get sick. How could you allow my husband or my, my wife to leave me? How could you allow my, me to lose my job, my car, my, my house? You fill in the blanks. God, why would you allow this? Now, God, I understand you, you might let something like that happen to the evil people, the wicked, you know, the non-believers, but because they're not as righteous as us. Why are you allowing it to happen to your people like that? God, I wouldn't have done it that way. You know what? In our thinking, we may not say it out loud, Sometimes in our thinking, we're just as guilty as Habakkuk is of thinking the same way about God. We as Christians may have, if we're Bible-taught and Bible-believing Christians, we may have the right conception of God. But so many times we've come to the wrong conclusion, thinking we know better how God should work than God does. We're guilty of being the same way, aren't we? Then you get to verse chapter 2, and, and now it's God's turn to speak again. And, God, in the conversation, comes back and talks to Habakkuk. And here's what he says. And uh, He says, basically, you, you, I'm going to tell you, sin's going to be judged. Uh, and he starts to lay it out. He says, uh, verse chapter 2, verse 1, he said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer and shall be reproved. And God says, Here, here's, the, here's the deal. And God ends up pronouncing five woes, and we're going to go quickly through them, but five woes upon the nation. And for five reasons, he tells him, he gives Habakkuk a vision of what's going to come, that sin's going to be judged, and, and he gives five of the specific areas that he's going to judge. And in verse number five and verse number six, he said, Yea, also, 
uh, because he transgresses by wine. He's a proud man. He enlarges his, his desire. He cannot be satisfied. In verse 6, he says, Woe unto him that increases that which is not his. And you say, what's he saying? He's saying, Woe unto him that's greedy. Woe unto him that's never satisfied. Woe unto him that's proud. Can I tell you, if you're greedy, if you're satisfied, you're proud, woe. That's what he's saying. Hello, America. I know it's to Judah here, but I, hello, America. We're greedy people. We're never satisfied, and we're a prideful people. Five woes he's pronouncing here. Second woe he pronounces here is in verse number nine. Look at that. He says, woe to him that coveteth an evil covenant to his house. And he, he lays it out there. Woe unto him that coveteth. Hello, America. Uh, we're keeping up with the Joneses, right? We're always coveting something somebody else has and wanting what they got and wanting bigger and better and all that. Never satisfied, never proud, coveting other things. He pronounced a third woe, verse 12. Look quickly, he says, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establish a city by iniquity. Woe unto him that uses murder for gains, what he's saying. Now, I wonder what God thinks of our society today, our country. And that murderous practice of abortion today that we got going on and we're sanctifying and, and, and blessing and all this crazy stuff our nation's doing, making legal. It's murder, friends. And woe unto him that built the town with blood and uses murder for gain. Verse 15, woe unto him. He goes on with another woe. Woe unto him that gives his neighbor drink and gets basically drunk and naked, he says. And uh they put us that, that bottle to him and maketh him drunk also that thou mayest look upon their nakedness. Woe unto the drunkards, he's saying. Verse 19, it says, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, uh, Awake to the dumb stone. And he, he, what's he talking about there? He's talking about idolatry. Woe unto them that worship uh, these idols, worship the stones. Can I tell you, he said, we don't worship idols and stones today. Listen, anything we worship more than God himself is our idol. Anything we place ahead of God is our idol. For some, it's, that's tree huggers and, and nature itself. They put their, their creation above the creator. For some, that's, uh, uh, that's politics. My goodness, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sick. I'm going to be real honest. I know we should stand our stands, but I'm pretty sick of Christians who speak more about politics than they do about our potentate. <laughs> speak more about politics than they do about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, It could be your job. It could be sports. It could be even your family. Anything we put above God, that's our idol. Hello, America. We're full of them, aren't we? Woe unto the greedy, he says. Woe unto the proud. Woe unto the never satisfied, the covetous, the murderous, the, the drunkards, the idolaters. Listen, I could have read that straight out of a newspaper about our country uh, this very morning. You talk about how relevant the Bible was back then. I know it's uh, an Old Testament prophet speaking thousands of years ago to the nation of Judah about God's God getting ready to use some evil people to chasten his people so they'd come back to him. Can I tell you, the lesson hasn't changed. Hello, America. Welcome to the USA Today. And I tell you, chastisement's here, I believe. Trouble has come, if you haven't noticed. And I believe God's trying to get our attention, just like he was the nation of Judah, trying to get our focus back on him. That's where Habakkuk and Judah was, and that's where I believe we are living right now. And now we have understanding of the background. Uh, here's the question. Here's the, the, what do we do? When God's chasing hands upon us, when tough times come, when trouble comes, if you want a title for the message, that's what I'm calling this. What to do when trouble comes? Well, the answer is given in chapter 3. I love God's Word. He lists two chapters of, of the problems, but praise God, He gives us hope at the end. Because here's what, here's what Habakkuk does. Look, look what he does in verse chapter 3, verse 1. 
the first thing he does to, to rectify this situation, he says, he prays. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. He says a prayer. He starts to pray. He starts to pray. Look specifically what he prays in verse 2. Oh, Lord, I've heard thy speech. He heard him. Means he understood what was coming now and why it was coming and was afraid. And then he hears his prayer. Oh, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. You say, what's he praying for? He's praying for revival. And I believe there's two things necessary for revival. Prayer, that's what he's doing in our text. And the second big thing is necessary is repentance. See, revival never comes to God's people without them getting to a place of repentance. And that means we change our mind and agree with God. And, and that change of mind literally ends up being a change of attitude and action as well after the mind's changed. And so that's what God's promise was. Remember his promise to 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then he said, well, I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and will heal their land. God says, my people called by his name. I know that was written to the Jews, but listen to you by application. We call ourselves Christians. That means we're called by his name. And he says, here's what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves and we need to pray. See, humility and prayer go hand in hand. If you aren't humble, you'll never realize your need for God's help and you'll never ask for it. Because that's all prayer means is ask. And so, so when, we're, when we're all prideful, we don't need God. In fact, uh, that's one of the uh, prayerlessness is, is really just a spirit of independence from God. But when we realize and we humble ourselves, we'll realize we need God for everything. Then we don't say, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. Hey, that's repentance, turning, changing your mind. You can't, you don't change your mind. If you don't change your mind, you'll never turn from your wicked ways and you'll never seek his face. So what are we doing to do in these days in which I believe we're living under the chastisement of an almighty God for our sins, for all the woes? What are we to do? Number one, I think we should pray for revival. Then we should pray like Habakkuk prayed also for mercy. Look what he says at the end of verse two. He says this, and he says, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Basically saying, Lord, I know we deserve this. We brought this upon ourselves based on our sinful lifestyles, based on our idolatry, based on our greed, based on our covetousness, based on our murdering of babies, the shedding of innocent blood, based on our drunkenness, our lack of contentment. But God, in your wrath, would you remember mercy? We deserve your wrath, Lord. That's where he's at here. But we're asking you to remember mercy. We're asking you, don't give us what we deserve. Uh, what are we to do as God's people when trouble comes, when chastening comes, pray. Pray for revival, pray for mercy. And secondly, I wrote this, we're to practice. We're to practice. Number one, we're to practice living by faith. Look back in chapter two, verse four, it says this, but the just shall live by his faith. That's quoted several other times, three other times, I believe, in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And I tell you what, listen, the just is those that have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means righteous, the, the ones that are straight. In other words, those that, have, the, that the Lord has given his righteousness to when he took our sins on his body on that tree. If you've been born again by the, by the grace of God, you're part of the just. And here's the, here's the command. Listen, we need to practice now. Practice living by faith as well. It's times like this when our faith is really tested. Over in James, James wrote, My brethren, count all joy 
when you fall into divers or various temptations, or knowing this, that the train of your faith worketh patience. So, so many times we say, my nerves are getting tried. My, my finances are getting tried. No, usually what's getting tried is our patience, is our faith is getting tried. And so it's times like this when you find out whether you really have a true possessing faith or whether you just have a professing faith. And there's a huge difference. You can profess to be a Christian all you want, but if you've never repented and trusted the gospel message and, and the Lord Jesus Christ alone, you don't have a possessing faith. You just have a professing one. And you know what will reveal that? It's times when these times, hard times come. Do you have a possessing and practicing faith? Well, if you do, here's what, you, here's what we need to do. We need to practice that. See, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And it's times like these that we're living in. we got to practice living by faith, not just preaching it, but practice living it. See, and when we practice living by faith, here's what naturally will be the outcome. That means we'll practice also casting out fear. The Bible says, 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Listen, even in the midst of troubles, even in the midst of God's chastening, Eve, he's still with us. He's still upholding us with his right hand. I love how Isaiah 41, verse 10 put it. He says, fear thou not, for I am with thee, he promised. Be not dismayed, he said, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Listen, these two steps go hand in hand. When you practice faith, listen, you will be practicing casting out fear. Faith and fear cannot last together. They're polar opposites. And so when you're living filled up with fear, hey, your faith is trumpled. Uh, it's time to get back under the get back into the Word of God. Claim the promises. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And and when that faith is built back up, guess what? The natural result is fear will be cast out. What do we do when trouble comes? Can I tell you? We pray. We pray for revival. We pray for His mercy. We practice. We practice living by faith, which will naturally practice casting out that fear. And then lastly, I want you to see this tonight. We need to praise. We need to praise Him anyway. See, you get to the end of chapter three and Habakkuk comes to the conclusion at the end of all this that even though the tough times are coming, even though all the calamities are coming, even though the chastening hand of God using the Chaldeans against his own people, he says, you know what? Even in all that, I'm still going to rejoice. Read with me verse 17 of chapter three. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Two key words, if you're in the circle in your Bible or writing and underlining your Bibles uh, at the beginning of verse 17, circle the word although. And then go to the beginning of verse 18 and circle the word yet. Habakkuk uh, is basically saying, although... I don't understand it all that's happening. Although, listen, the trees aren't going to blossom. Although the fruit's not going to grow on the vines. Although the, there's going to be no olive oil. Although the fields aren't going to yield any, any food or produce. Although the flock's going to be cut off. They're not going to reproduce. We're not going to have herd in the stall. Although all that stuff's going to happen. Here's what he says, yet. Yet. I'm going to thank God anyway. Regardless how things are going to look on the surface, I'm going to praise him anyway. As I get to thinking about that, there's three things I see here that you and I as a child of God, no matter what circumstances come, no matter what trouble comes in our lives, that we can always praise him for. Let me give them to you and we're done. Um, I'm, you're already in your house, but I'm going to the house. I'm going to leave North Carolina head to Virginia as we get done here. First thing, I want you to write this down. 
we can always praise him for his sovereignty, a sovereignty that never changes. You know, circumstances change, but God never does. Malachi 3 and verse number uh, 6, he says, I am the Lord and I change not. Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17, with whom, talking about Jesus, it is no variables, neither shadow of turning. In other words, we have a God who's always the same. We have a God who never changed, who doesn't has no variables whatsoever. That was true in Habakkuk's day. It's still true today. God is sovereign. God is in control. Apply this to us now where we're living. Listen, I don't care how far our economy sinks. I'm here to tell you God's in control. I don't care how long this virus lasts or doesn't last. God's still in control. And I don't care who's in the White House or who's in the congressional houses. Can I tell you, God is still in control. Listen to me. There's never going to be a time. There's never going to be an event. There's never going to be a place. There's never going to be a circumstance in your life where God's not sovereign, where God's not above all of that. And, uh, and uh, I may have some things that happen in my life. I may have some situations that I can't rejoice in the situation. But you know what? I can always rejoice that my God is above the situation and my God is sovereign. May not understand all he's doing or all he's allowing, but we can rest in the truth that he does all things well and it's ultimately for our good and ultimately for his glory. No matter how things may appear, I'm here to tell you tonight, God is still in control. He still knows best. He always does what's right and we can always praise our sovereign God and we can always praise him for being that very thing. Praise him for his sovereignty that never changes. And I wrote this down, we need to praise him for our salvation that never ceases. Praising for our salvation that never ceases. Look at verse 18. He said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Can I tell you, circumstances may get even worse in this life, but no circumstance will ever affect my salvation. I'm thankful for that. You know, salvation doesn't depend on things going well. Salvation doesn't even depend on me doing well. I'm saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works. Now, there's nothing I can do to get saved or stay saved in myself. I don't work for salvation. It's by his grace and solely by his grace. So salvation rests solely on the grace and the power of God. While life's uncertain, can I tell you why life's always changing? Listen, one phone call, one phone call can change your life. One doctor's visit, one doctor's report can change your life. One person deciding they're going to quit a relationship can change your life. Listen, life can change that quick. One, one car ride, something could happen. Life could be changed. Everything in life can be uncertain and ever changing, except this, God himself and our salvation. Amen. Thank God for his sovereignty. Thank God for a salvation that's eternal and never changes. Things may get bad here, but I got to tell you, this world's not our home. I'm heading to a better land. I don't know about you. And while the Lord's been good to us here, contrary to what old, old smiley boy on TV says, this is not our best life now. Hey, neighbor, my best life yet still to come. Amen. Peter tells us what awaits us on the other side. I think it's 1 Peter 1, 4. He says that we have an inheritance. He says it's incorruptible and undefiled that faith is not away, reserved for you in heaven or reserved in heaven for you, I think is the way the verse goes. And says, listen, things may get bad here. I may lose my car, my house, my health, my, my job, my wife, my possibility, even my life. 
But let me tell you one thing that no one can ever take away from me, and one thing you can never take away, no one can ever take away from you is your salvation if you've been saved by the grace of God. Jesus himself said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Peter said, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. The author of Hebrews says, I will never leave thee, talking about the Lord, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hey, you can read that backwards. That's just as good. Thee forsake nor leave, never will I. Uh, thank God for that. Hey, Hebrews 7.25 says, we are saved to the uttermost. That's as about as saved as you can get completely, utterly, forever. I may lose everything here, but I'll never lose my salvation. God's given to me. Amen. So even when the world's falling apart, we're to praise him. We're to praise him anyway. We can praise him for sovereignty that never changes. We can praise him for salvation that never ceases. Lastly, I want you to praise him for this. Praise him for the strength that never collapses. Look at verse 19. He says this, The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, hind's being a deer there, like a deer's feet, and he will make me to walk upon high places. And so he tells us here that, listen, when he uses the word strength, it has the idea of the word ability. So our strength doesn't lie within us. Our ability doesn't lie within us. See, the Lord is our strength. He's our ability. The psalmist said in Psalms 27, verse 1, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of, of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah said, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run they, and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Paul put it this way, Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Can I tell you, when we're unable to stand, he'll enable us. When we can't go on, he'll help us. Hey, when we're in the deep valley, here's what he said, he'll lead us to higher ground. Hey, when we can't walk, he'll give us hand, uh, hinds feet, feet like deers. It speaks of grace and agility. You ever watched a deer and swiftness, if you would. And then he says he'll lead us to the high places, the mountaintops where the, the deer is free from all the dangers below. That's what God says he'll do for us. When we can't go on for ourselves. he'll be our strength. He'll be the one that takes us to the place of safety. And so Habakkuk's telling us here that God enables him to rise above the circumstances of the day and that God will give him the strength to stand no matter what the situation. In other words, I think he's saying something like this. God will turn my doubts into shouts. He'll give me peace in the midst of my problems. And so Habakkuk here, he learned, I think, a valuable lesson. He learned a lesson that really God's children need to learn. He learned that he had nothing to fear from life, but he had plenty of reasons to praise him, even in the midst of the troubles, even in the midst of the chastening of God. Listen, if you're saved, you possess every reason to praise him. You got all the same reason to praise him Habakkuk had. So regardless of what you might be facing today, I encourage you, look to God. Lean on God. Praise him anyway. What to do when trouble comes? Or to pray. Pray for revival. Pray for mercy. Or to practice. Practice living by faith. and By default, that'll practice casting out fear. Or to praise. Praise him for his sovereignty. Hey, praise him like a rocket launcher launching a rocket. <laughs> hey, let's get some praise going on. Amen. Praise him for his salvation and praise him for the strength that never changes. Wow. What a lesson we can learn from these Old Testament, even in tough times, what to do when trouble comes. Pray, practice, and praise. Pray, practice, and praise. 
Can I encourage you tonight? Listen, you don't have that help. You don't have the promise of his strength if you're not his son. If you've never had a time and a place where you trusted Christ as your Savior and you could call like Habakkuk did, the God, Jehovah God, your God, then can I encourage you tonight? Why don't you make tonight your night? Why don't you make right now the time that you trust in Christ, you, you have your sins be forgiven, you receive the promise of eternal life? Can I tell you, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you acknowledge you're a sinner tonight? Are you willing to confess that, agree with God about that? The Bible says, uh, uh, Mark 1, 15, Jesus said this way, repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent, change your mind. Believe, put your full weight, trust, and confidence in the gospel message. The fact that Jesus died for you, was buried, and rose again for you. Call upon his knowing. My Bible still says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My Bible says, Romans 10, 9, that if thou, that you shall confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in that heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Won't you call upon him tonight? Won't you say, Lord, be merciful, me a sinner. Lord, I believe that you died for my sin, and I believe you were buried, and I believe you rose again, and I put my trust in you. I ask you to give me the free gift of eternal life. Save my soul. You know what? You call upon him. He'll do that very thing. And then you can call him your God. And when the day of trouble comes, not if, but when, and I think we're right in the middle of it, you too can then pray for revival, for mercy. You too can then practice living by the faith that he just saved you with, which will cast out that fear that you're living in now. And you too can praise him. Praise him that he's sovereign. Praise him for his salvation. And praise him for the strength that he'll give you. He said, I am your strength. God bless you. Have a great night.